Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. And again, welcome to this next episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Just before I start the interview with Cheryl Calloway, and by the way, for those wondering, this is the first ever interview of Miss Calloway's ever done. So I hope you all enjoy it and get to learn a lot more about her. After we were finished doing the main interview, we were talking to each other on the phone, and then she started sharing these other little stories. And I said to her, let's hit the record button and record some of these stories. So we got some extra bonus stuff after the main interview. Basically, she talks about the show that she did, and it was called Best of the Post, and she was in an episode of that with Vincent Price. So she shares um, her reminiscence of Mr. Price. And she's also going to talk about Buster Keaton and the, al- the Alphabet Conspiracy. And she's going to sh- um, share a Sean Connery story and besides other things. So there's all these nice little stories that are going to come up after um, we're done the proper interview. I'll do a little introduction to it, and then we'll go right into those extra little story bits. Um, so I hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Diecast Movie Podcast. And this time I'm going to be joined by a child actress, Cheryl Calloway. You might know her from The Night of the Hunter, The Kettles and the Ozarks. She's been in TV shows like Lassie, The Loretta Young Show. That's just a few of her many, many credits. How are you doing today, Ms. Calloway? I am doing great. Thank you. A, a lot of people aren't familiar with you, but I was just uh, amazed your list of credits about who you've worked with, or at least were in movies with when you were an actress. Yes. I worked with a lot of different people and some very famous, some not so famous, uh, but enjoyed it all. And, and how did you get started in that? Was it something that um, you wanted to do? Was it something your parents wanted to do, wanted you to do, or is it a little bit of both? Uh, actually, my mom was kind of a wannabe actress. And uh, she really wanted to do that, but uh, life kind of had different ideas. And so she kind of put her hopes on to me. So it was initially her idea. And uh, I enjoyed, you know, for the most part, being on the shows and meeting all the people and everything. So it, it, eventually I did enjoy it, but it was kind of her, her dream for me. So for a while there was helping, I'm going to make mom proud. And then eventually it was like, oh, I'm, I'm liking this. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of that way. I mean, I had, uh, I had, you know, some. There are good parts and bad parts to be about being a child star. I'm sure you've heard all of this from talking to other child stars. But, you know, the the good part is you meet lots of interesting people and it's it's fun and exciting. But uh, the the downside is, you know, don't ride your bike because if you fall off of it and skin your knee, it won't match the shot tomorrow. And uh, and not also, I didn't go to public school very much. So when I got into uh, junior high school and high school and did more schooling it was kind of a shock to actually have to deal with people my age (laughs) wow who are you people (laughs) a culture shock you know just throw her into the pool you know "Ah." (laughs) exactly i was like oh my gosh i don't know who any of you people are i don't know anybody it was terrible (laughs) but but i I survived that too (laughs) you know i guess what they say that doesn't what what doesn't break you makes you stronger so it's uh (laughs) yes definitely but I was going to say, you've done so many different things in TV and in movies, and um, it's hard to, to figure out where to start. But I figure I'll start with your first movie role that I could find, which was Cry Vengeance. I don't know if you have any memories or recall that, because I know 
and anytime I interview somebody that was a child actor or actress, it's a lot of people have to remember is you, you were very young during these parts and so, some things you're going to remember rather well and some things you won't and you'll have different takes on people because how they interacted with you. That's very true because I some things I remember vividly and other things I, I have to search kind of to remember. But Cry Vengeance was uh, fun because we uh, did it in Alaska in this little town called Ketchikan. And uh, you, you could only get to the town by a seaplane. So that was my first adventure on a seaplane. So I enjoyed that. And uh, it had starred Mark Stevens, who was a very nice man. He was very kind to work with. I remember liking him a lot. And uh, and the interesting thing about the town is like half of it was built over a pier. So when the tide went out, you could walk under the town and look up at people, which could be good and bad, you know, depending on what they were wearing. And then uh, if when the tide came in, uh, you you, know, you couldn't because you'd have to swim. So it was very interesting. It was a, a charming little town that had all sorts of totem poles all over and a bear that visited the uh, kitchen at night and sampled some of the dinner things that were left over. So it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining, oh, you, you guys being like, there's a bear, and, every, and the people are like, ah, it's normal. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Henry. He comes over. It's kind of like that. We were all horrified. All the actors were like, wow. What they were like, eh, don't mind him. I was going you know, I, I wasn't sure. Is that a lot of your films are hard to find or TV shows too, you know, like when you're trying to yeah. search it and, and watch them because it depends what streaming service they're on or some, some of them are on YouTube. Some of them are not anywhere. And uh, which makes it difficult. This is one I have not seen yet, but I did notice there is a name in this movie who's also going to show up in a later movie, and that's yes. and that's Richard Deacon. And I'm not sure if you had any. He played the bartender. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him, unfortunately, so I don't really remember him. I uh, remember. I said, "Oh gosh, who played my father?" Anyway, it was. Uh, I it was hard to remember a lot of the actors in it, but. I do remember Martha Heyer. She was lovely. And I remember I had to carry this fish. I was supposedly caught a fish with my dad, and it was very stinky, and I didn't like holding it. And I was kind of a, you know, I was a city girl, you know. Who <laughs> 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 was a fish? I was like, really? So I was I hated that scene, as I recall. And Douglas Kennedy played my father in that, and he was nice. And he, I did a couple of other things with him, like westerns, just later on in my life. But actually, it probably worked that you didn't like the smell of the fish because of your role in the movie. You're supposed to be hiding. That's um, true. <laughs> so I guess I guess you know it, it was you, you weren't supposed to be a native to that area. So by you instinctively like, oh, I really you, you, people probably fall. Oh, well, she's doing a really good job acting, but no, she was doing method acting. <laughs> well, well, the other thing I remember being funny was that the fish was fairly large, and I remember the director got unhappy with the. A prop guy because he was kind of like you know she's not that big couldn't you find a small <laughs> and it was heavy <laughs> so I ended up like dragging it on the pier as I guess they figured that was kind of funny so they just left <laughs> <laughs> well the director Mark Stevens obviously knew how to use you for you know just well she's doing yeah. it naturally just just film it film it well We'll, we'll edit out the parts that we don't like, but we got this great natural acting going on here. Let's keep this good parts in. He was good at that. I think being an actor, he kind of, you know, got that sometimes you just, you know, if it works and it's kind of funny or it adds to the shot, you just go with it anyway. 
That's true. Um, directors that are actors will usually usually allow people to have that that interplay or whatever. And then sometimes you get those happy accidents where it's oh, I yeah. wasn't attending that, but that's gold. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like flying in a seaplane? I mean, that, that that's something I, I've never done. It was really interesting. The landing was spectacular. It was really fun because you'd hit the waves and bounce up again and go down. <laughs> And then you'd hit it again, and, and then you'd, you'd get on the pier, and they'd pull up to this little tiny dock, and you'd try to step off without, you know, falling on your face. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine, because you were, you were probably like seven or eight years old, and here you are in a seaplane, and you're going to the pier, and then you see a bear. I mean, this, it's a movie in itself, just filming this. It was great. It was great. I think that's why I remember a lot of it, because it, it was great. It was beautiful there, too. I mean, the people were lovely in the town. They were very nice. Now, also that, that that year, I mean, you were you were in a lot of movies in a in a couple year period. But in that you had the bridges at Toki Rai, Tokori, Tokori, yeah. and you got the star. You got the your the person playing your mother was Grace Kelly. Yes, <laughs> very interesting. She was nice but distant. It was interesting. I remember that. the The nice person was William Holden, who was very friendly and chatted. And, you know, to make you feel comfortable and everything, is we had this funny scene where we were in a, a Japanese bath and everything. And basically, we all had uh, skin color swimsuits on, but we were supposed to be nude in the scene. But I think they uh, they didn't do that. So we all had the skin colored suits. So it was kind of interesting. And uh, but he was very nice. And it's funny. He had this kind of, I know if you're, when you're a kid, you just sense it or something, but William Holden was so lovely, but he had a sadness about him, you know, mm-hmm. and I could never quite figure out. I always wondered if it was because he was an alcoholic, you know, and, and he, in the end, that's what did him in. And I often thought that perhaps that was part of his persona. I mean, you don't know what it is when you're a kid, but I just instinctively liked him because he was kind of, you know, sad and interesting, and he was very kind. And also, yeah. I'm sorry, you go. No, I was going to say not every. Well, I was just going to say not everybody loves child actors, as you probably know. I mean, the adult actors don't always love them. That is true. Because what do they say in Hollywood? You never want to work with a child or 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 an animal, right? Yeah, that was W. C. Fields said that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I know some child actors are very good at performing with the actors and they, but other ones they have to do like the, um, the, the, the shot with just them by themselves. Some of them can work great with everybody else and do their lines uh, as the normal adult actors would. And some can't just because of their age, you know, especially the really, yeah. really young ones, you know, like the ones you're getting yeah. four and five years old. <laughs> That's true. I think that, you know, kids don't always understand what's going on and the adults don't always want to have to deal with whatever that is. So it's just kind of interesting mix. No. Um, I never had any problem. I always did the scenes with the people. I didn't seem to, they didn't seem to have any issues. So I don't remember, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any other memories of like lo- the location shots when you were filming this? Well, I'm trying to remember. I did a movie called The Last Command, which we did in Texas. Uh, and actually they reused the, uh, we built the Alamo and they actually reused it for John Wayne's movie. It was in Brackettville, Texas. Yeah, and that one. And uh, I'll, I'll let you go. It was. Oh, I was going to say it. I remembered it because it was hot and dirty and <laughs> not overly fabulous. But uh, 
it was uh, interesting because they had to build the whole thing and they had to redo some of it. And some of the scenes where the, uh, the uh, army would attack and everything before they removed the women and children. And then I kind of disappeared out of the movie, but, <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it was still interesting just to go there and everything. And so, was, uh, so I remember that one because that was a interesting location. And I remember because they used it again and I thought, well, at least I got some use out of that thing after we spent a small fortune building it. <laughs> that, that's something I didn't know until I was, I, was, I, I was watching it, but John Russell and Virginia Gray played your parents in the last command. Yeah, they do. And, uh, and they were, uh, I didn't really interact with them oddly enough that much, especially John Russell, because there's only the one scene where he comes to say goodbye and, and everything and talk to her. And, and I mostly, I worked with Virginia Gray, who was, who I remember being a, a very kind person. And she, I think she might've had children because she kind of did it well and talked to me and everything. And I still have a doll. I, they made a little wooden doll for me with a little uh, wool dress that I carried around in the movie and they, they gave it to me to take home and I still, it still sits on my shelf in the closet. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, do you still have it to, to this day? I mean, that's, that's a nice collectible. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> now there's, there's two actors that were in that movie that I have to ask you about because they're two of my favorite actors. And I'm hoping that, I mean, I know you might've interacted with them. You might not have, you know, because again, you're being a child actor, but, Slim Pickens or Ernest Borgnine? Did you have any? Did you have any time with them more offset, or you know, where you got a chance to talk to them, or did it just did never happen? Oh, sadly, no, it just didn't happen. I I wish I had. I like both of them too. Well, I mean, they've been in everything, and 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 they're so. I don't know. They did did just seem to have such charm and everything that they do when they act. It's you always hope. Yeah, you know, character actors to me were always. It's so funny. They were always the nicest ones to me, and they were always the ones that were so interesting. And I, I think it's because they're not overly beautiful or handsome. And so, you know, it's their personality that sells them. And uh, I think that was true in person, too. They were always the ones that were outgoing and would talk to you or, you know, uh, ask about you or something. And I always enjoyed that that aspect. Well, that, that's true. I think, I think another reason character actors are probably – Kind, not just because of their normal nature is, is because they're always doing little parts in different movies and you never know who you're working with might connect you to another project down the road. Regardless of age, exactly. the young people get older and eventually they, when they get older, they might be in a production and they'll be like, oh, I remember this guy. He was nice to me. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's that's the way most people have um, thriving careers in, in whatever business, whatever you do in the life, if you're kind and, and, and do your and do the job right, you're usually going to go pretty far. I think so. I mean, people always remember the kind people. You know, they do. I do. I think it's just a natural thing. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one thing, going back to the bridges, uh, yeah. did, did you have any interact in, interaction with the former child actor, now an adult actor in that movie, Mickey Rooney. Only the, in meeting him, you know, and everything. And he also uh, came over and I remember he knelt down and said, Hey, how are you doing? And this and that. But he was, I was not in any scenes with him, but he had, I don't know why he was there. He was just on the set for a moment to talk to the director for some reason. That's good. That he actually, and that's all I can remember. Well, it's nice. They took the time out because he didn't have, he could have just walked right by it. But I think being a former child actor, yeah, he knows what it's that's like. That's what I you. thought. 
Yeah, I think you did. I think, you know, you, a former child actor always <laughs> recognizes what it, what the life is like. I think they, they identify with it. And in the movie, Nadine Ashdown played your sister. Yeah. And what was it like working with her? Because I'm sure you two probably uh, had the most time to get her offset, you know, compared to anybody. We did. We went to school together and everything. She was a nice gal. I remember being fun. I remember being funny for some reason. She had a great sense of humor, but not all I can remember, sadly. What was it like going to school while on the set? It was very interesting because you had three hours of schooling, and then they had a, a, they called the studio teacher, and they had these teachers that they would pick from. And it was interesting in that, say, like on Night of the Hunter or uh, some of the other kettles and things like that, you had children of a lot of different ages. And that teacher would have to get the, you would get your schooling from the school you were going to. Although I never set foot in my grammar school, I, I still uh, got schooling from the teacher. I'd go and get my assignments and everything and turn them in. And that's how I graduated and went on to the next level. But uh, it was interesting because she would spend a little time with you, but then you pretty much were on your own to do your assignment and everything because you had all these different grades. If you were lucky enough to be the only kid there, then you got a lot of attention. So. It's, it's pretty much like, uh, in that case, like, like having your private tutor or being homeschooled almost in a sense, you know. I I, I credit a lot of my time uh, with studio teachers because every single one of them was, I remember being fabulous. And I also remember that a lot of them were very interested in me learning to read and learning exactly how to do, you know, arithmetic and all these different things. And I, I thought that they felt that you were in a difficult situation where you weren't necessarily there to ask the questions of the teacher. So they wanted to be sure that you had all the information you needed. But I became an avid reader thanks to a lady by the name of Mrs. Givens and Mrs. Barkley, both of them. They were just like avid readers and uh, they uh, turned me on to, I started off in mystery, went off to science fiction and <laughs> now I'm, can't lie, read anything now, but I'm kind of back to mysteries again in my, my elder years. Well, so what kind of um, science fiction books or mystery books um, or, or writers do you gravitate to? Well, I, I devoured Nancy Drew, of course, and then I went to the Hardy Boys. The annoying thing about Nancy Drew, she was always getting locked in a closet or something. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then uh, I kind of graduated to, I remember reading uh, James Bond, and my mother was not was a little unsettled about that. I think she thought it was a little risque for my age, but I didn't. I laughed about it later because I I pretty much skipped through the the love parts to get back to the main story. So it was all right. She she needn't have worried. Um, and uh, I I love uh, I loved Ray Bradbury. Uh, I read a lot of him. He was my first brush with a science fiction writer, mm -hmm. Isaac Asimov, and. As I got older, some of the more colorful ones, uh, Philip K. Dick. I remember growing up and um, always taking out of the school library either Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys, just going, you know, uh -huh. going down the list. You're going because it was great because they were numbered, so it's like okay, you get number fifteen, yes. number sixteen, and and they were great. I'd read them in one night, you know, and then bring it back to the library and get the next one, you know. And it was just it was just great for like a two year period. It seemed like all I was doing is just reading those two series and it was just i have great memories of of them and they, and they, I don't know, they're just they're just nice reads nice quick reads 
I had the same experience. I know exactly what you mean. I, I was so disappointed when I read through all of them. I was like, well, great. Now what am I going to read? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And then you, then you start gravitating to other thing. And um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Have you ever read the mystery writer Sue Grafton? Yes. Oh. A is for alibi. <laughs> I loved her series. It was just a shame that she never got, she was just so close to finishing the whole alphabet. Oh, I know. She didn't make it to Z. I was so sad for her. It was awful. It was like, oh, so close. But uh, the good part is, is she got a good way into it and it's all there forever. So it's, and, and, yes. and for people who are listening, read Sue Grafton. You'll enjoy it. It's, it's, it's like a, a TV movie in a book, in a sense, because it is, you're right. Yeah, she's wonderful, right? I loved her, and uh, I own all of Agatha Christie books. I have a whole collection of them. I started uh, when I was younger and just kept collecting them, and I own all of those and read all of hers. Hercule Poirot is my favorite. I like this Marple, but he was the best, I think. And anyway, I just uh, love all of them, so. And I thank my teachers for all of that. <laughs> oh, I thank mine too. But it's just I, I you and I have taste. I think similar taste in mystery writers and science fiction writers. So it's that's I, I don't know. It's just it's, it's good writing. You just enjoy it, and especially when some of these have been adapted into different movies, and if and if it matches what you have in your mind, it's like you're just in Nirvana. Yes. <laughs> but speaking of movies, you brought it up briefly a little bit. The Night of the Hunter. That one is yes. a, is a great movie, and it was one that didn't get the acclaim it deserved at its time, but it is now. Yes, it's it's sort of interesting how it's had a renaissance because when it when we did it, it was just a strange little movie that the studio didn't know what to do with, and I think they had I think it was the High and the Mighty. I could be wrong about that, but that was their big movie of the year, and so they basically just spent all their time and PR money on the high and the mighty. And I think they just released night of the hunters and said, you know, go now, go away. We don't want you anymore. And I felt bad because I thought that the movie is a wonderful movie. It's just very atmospheric and it's very strange. And uh, Charles Lawton was an amazing director. And I, I think it's probably, you know, now as an adult, when I look at it, I think it's Robert Mitchum's probably his finest performance. Oh, He's just a, Oh, look, you go. Well, I was just saying, he's just scary and it. he's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he comes on. I mean, he's, su he's such an evil man playing a preacher. Uh huh. And um, I, every so often I do some things for this other podcast called Monster Kid Radio. And they did a thing where um, I did a thing where people put down their favorite monster movies. And I never thought of this movie as being a monster movie because to me, it's, 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 it's not, he's not a, he's a monstrous person, but he's not a monster. But a lot of people thought of him and this movie as being a monster movie. And it got in the top hundred of our list and I broke oh, it wow. down and it was like, I think it was in the top 50. It was, it was way up there. And, um, cause Robert Mitchum's character is so monstrous and, uh, and that kind of thing. So it just shows you how it gravitated with a lot of people in ways that you would never think. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I had never thought of it that way. That's interesting to think of him as a monster, but he was in, in the movie, of course. It just blew my mind. And, and the sad thing is because the studio didn't get behind it and it didn't do as well as it, it should have. Yes. This was Charles Walton's <laughs> only movie that he directed. I mean, because he was so upset with um, how it all turned out. 
yeah, he really was. I think it broke his heart. I just think he thought, well, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm a famous actor. I can do something else. And I, it just, it's very sad because when you look at that, you think he had so much potential as a director. And what was it like as a child actress working for him as a director? Because he, he had a lot of children. I mean, that this movie is about children. And <laughs> yeah, it is. Basically, it's a story seen through the eyes of the of the children, kind of. And um, but I, I, he was wonderful because he, when you, he would talk to you, it was as if you were the only person there, and he would pay attention to you, and he he was very kind, and he would speak very softly to the kids he didn't if he didn't like something he didn't yell at them or anything like that and and I, I thought that that was really good and I thought it worked for him it worked really well uh, for all of us and everything and he would uh, we would uh, sit and we were we got a little uh, recess from school and we were all sitting there at a table when he came and sat down and cut some paper dolls with us and things like that just to kind of let us all be comfortable with him and and feel comfortable around him and everything. It was, it was very interesting. That is. And I think it, he did direct stage production. So I know he's, he's yeah. directing background, but it was just a shame because I like the style of the movie, but you got to work with one of the greatest film actresses in the history. I mean, you're talking in any top five list. If this person's name's not in there, somebody's film history is not there. Lillian Gish. Yes. What a special person, just uh, kind and thoughtful, and she remembered everybody's name. She remembered the crew people's name. She was just, and she had the most, I express it, she had like a, a beautiful feeling about her, you know, like she, her eyes were very bright, and she just seemed very special, like a special person, even in person. You know, I can see why she did well in movies because that probably came across on the on the film. But she was just very, uh, you know, and she she knew everybody. She knew all the crew members' names, and she knew all in everything. Everybody was important to her, and I thought that that probably did well for her. And I, I think probably growing up in silent films too, you probably did know all the crew members because they probably did a lot of different things, and it was interesting. And for listeners that haven't seen. Films of Lillian Gish, going back to the silent era to all the way to the Whales of August. You yeah. seek, seek these out. You're, you're, you're really missing somebody who was at the top of their game almost every single movie. I've yet to see I mean, she's excellent in everything. She's wonderful in that movie. If you really look at her, she really carries the movie because it's her strength that you feel you know, protecting those kids. Cause she, she reads him right away. Robert, <laughs> she's not fooling her. And I just thought it was, uh, it was just wonderful performance. Oh, I agree with you. I, I love that scene where, um, Billy Chapin, um, playing John Harper. And, and when the preacher shows up at her farm and go, and is trying to say that he's their dad and, he, and, and they're, mm -hmm. they're having that dialogue and, and he goes, you're not my Paul. And uh, no, he goes. He's not my Paul, and she and Lillian Gish's character just goes, and he's not a preacher either. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it, it, it was great, and she went and got that shotgun, and uh, uh, it was just funny. She because he's trying to he's trying to kill John Harper, and then she's like, "No, -uh, you know, you get out of here." And then she's waiting uh -huh. up for him that whole night, and then those two singing the song. Oh, I love that studio. Oh, as they're doing this, that night standoff, it's just, it's, oh, 
I'm not spo- I don't want to spoil yeah. the ending, but it's just it's just a great film. <laughs> oh, it is. It's just, you know, and I uh, UCLA has a class on you know the uh, film noir and and some of the uh, films that didn't do that well that are classics, and they did the Night of the Hunter, and um, I got invited to speak and to be part of a panel, and uh, Billy Chapin was the uh, I think Sally Jane Bruce is still alive, but she doesn't participate or anything. I think she lives up in Northern. I'm not sure, but, but Billy, Billy came and, and we were the only two still around from the movie, but it was a lot of fun. And it was, it made me feel good that, you know, students study that film now, because I, I hope that maybe Charles Lawton finally got some <laughs> recognition out of it after all these years. Oh, I think he did definitely. And, and what was it like working with, with Billy Chapin, Chapin, you know, it's, um, because he, here he's carrying the film. It's his film, basically. <laughs> it was, he was a wonderful actor. I really thought he was good uh, in the movie. And, and he was very nice. He was kind of quiet. He's a very quiet person. His uh, uh, sister, Lauren Chapin, of course, was the daughter and father knows best. And uh, so I had met Lauren and her mom because I was going to studio school. Uh, when she was doing Father Knows Best, so I had known her, but and so I had met Billy just like as her brother before before I did the film, so it was interesting. And, and, and you, excuse me, and you kind of talked about Robert Mitchell, how well he did performance wise, because of his role as being the antagonist. <laughs> did he really interact with the children that much, or did he try to keep himself separate so that we had more impact? You know, so that way the scare factor was up there. He pretty much kept himself separate. Uh, he didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, if you spoke to him, he would speak to you. He wasn't like that. But he uh, didn't, like, come around with them or anything like that. At least not with the R's. I don't know about uh, Billy and Sally Jane when they you know, the scenes without us. I don't know. But I don't recall him. Usually he was either in his dressing room or they were looking for him because he was late, <laughs> which happened, happened quite often. Uh, anyway, but uh, the, but that's all I can remember of him that much. But he was, uh, um, he was, uh, I remember I walked by and he was playing poker and I stopped and I, it was some of the guys on the set and I stopped and he showed me his cards. He said, what do you think? And I said, looks good. He goes, I think so too. Or something. It's like this little <laughs> brief exchange or something. But so he wasn't like unfriendly. He was just not, he didn't, you know, seek you out. Well, again, like we said earlier, where I said earlier, it was like adult actors. It's, it's kind of hard for them sometimes to, to power around with the people that are t- totally different in their age. And I think, but for him, it might've been a good thing. Or yeah. no choice, just because again, he is supposed to be. You're all supposed to be like scared of him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, except for Pearl, Pearl Harper. You know, Sally Jane's character is yeah. is, is supposed to be. You know, um, like uh, falling like, oh, that's my daddy, and and not as not scared right. of him, not realizing the danger that she's in. Right. I think. Uh, I, I yeah. I think she's really the only one. I think the rest of us kind of. No, no, he's kind of a fearful person for some reason. <laughs> well, there, there was one other person that that fell to his charm. That was one of the girls, and that was Ruby. Oh, Gloria yeah. Castillo. And oh, yeah, because she was smitten by him because oh, she he likes me, and I'm and because I'm because he says I'm good looking and bought me a Sunday and yeah, she uh, Gloria was a nice gal. I don't think she did much after that. I was trying to remember, but uh, she had a. 
dog on her bed named Floppy, and I thought he was really cute. So when the uh, movie was over, she gave me Floppy, and I still have him, too. He sits up there with my little wood doll with her wool dress. That was nice for her, to, for her to give that to you. I mean, that's, you know, because some people don't don't have that wherewithal or or, or it might have been one of her favorites, too, or that she developed a thing with, but she realized it was going to a, somebody who, wanted it, who, who would give it more, have more joy with it. Well, I just really liked it. I go in and hold it. And <laughs> I think she decided that, you know, I needed it more than she did. Now, you did a lot of other movies in 1955. I'm not going to cover all of them because yeah. you did a lot. But I want to move to the Kettles and the Ozarks, the, the, the Mom uh, Paul Marjorie. Kettle series. <laughs> Marjorie Maine, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> what was she like? Because she seems like, you know, always to be this 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 very knowledgeable person who who, who could pick up you know, how realistic was that from her? She was exactly the way she seemed in that movie. Like she was just a hoot. And she was she was sure that if you had at least one banana a day that you would be incredibly healthy. And she shared that with everyone. Did you have your banana today? Because she had, she had extra ones. If you didn't have them, you could have one from her. And uh, she would, uh, they had this little uh, tram thing that would take us from the dressing rooms because there were a whole bunch of us to the stage. And then, so she'd get on the tram with her banana and pass them around and everything. She was just very funny. I remember her being just a hoot. She was nice to work with because she, you know, she would just call you honey and sweetie, you know, when she talked to you and everything. It was, it was not sure she could remember everybody's names, why she did, but it was still nice. It was nice. Well, she did have 16 kids, but not all of them were with her in this film. I mean, that was like an ongoing joke. There was 14 of you. <laughs> oh, I know. It was such a hoot. I mean, I can't even imagine her, you know, how she was, what she must have thought dealing with all those kids movie after movie. <laughs> What was it like for you though doing that film? Because you're you're with a ton of other people, a ton of other children, actors, and you know on a set, and and you get to do a lot of different hijinks to a lot of different um, nefarious people. <laughs> yes, it was very interesting because the, it's odd. I it, I don't remember a lot of the kids from there. Uh, one of the kids, Bonnie, I can't think of her name, went on to do a TV series as an adult. What was her name? Darn. Uh, but I don't remember much of them that well. But I do remember the adults, which is funny, because I remember Marjorie Maine and I remember Arthur Honeycutt. He played Uncle Sedge in it because uh, Percy Kilbright was ill, and uh, so the I mean, one kettle that he's not in. But uh, it was uh, the kids were just interesting, but we were all different ages and. And I was also irritated by the fact that I played the youngest, that I actually was not the youngest child. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't the youngest in age, even though I just looked young. And they liked that because I could say the lines. Well, you got more lines that way. So it's, you know, it worked out for you in the end. <laughs> you did. <laughs> but but Arthur um, Honeycutt was also in The Last Command. Yes, he was. Uh, and I remember him both uh, times. He just... Uh, Sort of like he is there too. He's a character, very uh, not as you know countryish in, in person, but still very slow talking, very pleasant. You know, just uh, he uh, did not mingle as much with the kids as I recall <laughs> in the kettles, probably wisely. I don't know. 
Well, he saw what they were doing to all the other adults. He probably figured it'd be best to, to play it safe and to stay clear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 that was that was an interesting film to watch because um, I think it has a lot of those hijinks. It's a good one to watch with your children, you know, where you can go through and you, you can see the stuff happening. You got a lot of sight gags going on. It, 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 so it works rather well for like a family film. Yeah, it really was. It was very funny. I remember the poor guy that had the egg on his face from the, you know, he looks up and the chicken lays an egg on his face, the conductor. We had to do that like three or four times. We kept having to take the egg off and do it again. I felt bad for the guy. Like, even as a kid, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Well, the poor guy's going to have to get the egg in the face again. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that conductor, he suffers some abuse on that train. That, that's He did. <laughs> Oh, but but that's for for those that have not seen the Mall and Paul Kettle series, it's it's go for it. It's it's ten movies. This was the ninth entry. There was one more after this one, if I remember correctly. So there's a lot of Mom Paul Kettle out there for people to see. And there is, and they they're fun movies just because it's a lot of hijinks by the kids. So it's like one of those movies the whole family can enjoy. So. Oh, exactly. And speaking of working with people, I'm gonna. I'm gonna dive into some of your TV work for a little bit. Um, okay. General Electric Theater. Do you have any memories of the, of the, the three different episodes that you did there? I can't remember. One, no. of them, one of them was the windmill and it had James Stewart, Barbara Hale. Yeah, it was, uh, I worked with Barbara Hale twice. I did a Playhouse 90 with her too called The Country Husband. With uh, Frank Lovejoy, oh. um, those were interesting to do the Playhouse '90s because you know those were in, people probably don't know what I'm talking about nowadays. All of you watch the only thing really done nowadays live is news, local news anyway. But uh, back in those days, you know, a lot of the TV was live, and uh, so you would. They would they had a film, but the film didn't last that long. They called it Kinescope, and so you would do the. And so at first, when I did a couple of Playhouse nineties, they would do it twice. They'd do it once for the East Coast and once for the West Coast. And then they got then the Kinescope got better, and then we only had to do it once, and they could it would last long enough on the film that they would replay it again. But uh, I recall that the Country Husband we did twice. <laughs> And uh, anyway, but she, uh, I don't remember the windmill. I honestly don't remember, but I do remember Jimmy Stewart because he was a nice person. Yeah, the windmill was about a, um, a, a guy who used to be a gunslinger who wants to win a shooting contest to raise money for a windmill. Uh, Something like that. Gosh. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's like not coming to me, and I apologize. Well, that's all right. That's all right. But, but you do remember a little bit about James Stewart and Barbara Hale. And Barbara Hale, I always loved her. And Perry yeah. Mason. I mean, it's just. I did too. I loved Perry Mason. <laughs> I always wanted to do one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the shocking thing. I was like looking through. It's like she's in everything, but not Perry Mason. How, how did that happen? I know. And I love that show too. I would love to have done one. <laughs> they 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 missed they 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 missed uh, they messed up there. They should have had you in Perry Mason. Uh, that's all I <laughs> can say. Go. If there was a do over, it's like oh, I should have been in Perry Mason with Raymond Burr and. <laughs> Barbara Hale. How come Hale, Mrs. Hale didn't say anything about, look, I worked with her twice. Bring her in. <laughs> I have a local uh, old 
TV station here called Me TV or something on the uh, on our cable thing here, and uh, they have both Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Wells Fargo and a couple of other things that I did like one of, and so I'm always searching the titles to see if I can find one. I haven't gotten lucky yet. I don't know. <laughs> I keep looking. Oh yeah, because um, speaking of Alfred Hitchcock, you were in Heart of Gold. Yes. And um, and I, I keep looking for that one, and there's one Emma's for the many or something. And I I remember it was in an apartment, and this guy came up and knocked on the door, and I answered. But that's all I can remember about that one. Yeah, it's, it's um, let's see, because Heart of Gold, that one you're in, and um, I saw that recently. I saw that yesterday. Oh. Yeah. So it was. Oh wow. Yeah, it's on um, <laughs> it's on a streaming service. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't have a lot of streaming here. I mean, we need to get with the with the program. I think. Yeah, well, it's it's like everything. They 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 show up on the thing for a little while, then they go and rotate out. I, I guess like uh, BTV will run things for a while, then it'll shift. And then the it runs service, out, yeah. And then they'll bring it back. It's, which is good yeah. because I mean, if you ran the same shows all the time, you know, then people just get a little bored. You need to have a little bit of variety and and rotate them through. Yeah. Now, the other TV show I wanted to bring up was Lassie. You were in the episode Lassie's Day. Do you have any, yes. Do you have any memories with Lassie? The, 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 probably one of the one of the top four or five most famous canine dog names in movies and TV. Well, at the time I did it, Lassie was a he. Uh, they actually had different dogs, uh, and uh, they would retire them, you know, or they get older or whatever. And so it started out being a girl. So Lassie was always a she when she was on the TV, but it was a he when I was doing the Lassie. <laughs> but uh, he, Lassie uh, runs, something happens and he gets separated and I fall down a well or something. I don't really, I think, but I think he saves me. And then I, uh, he stays with us for a while and then I'm sad when he goes away and everything. That's what I can vaguely remember. But I do remember the, the dog was really well trained. It wasn't, uh, made me sad because I'm a big lover and hugger and I like to hug him and everything. And the, trainer of the dog was not too keen on me being too friendly unless it was in the scene or something it was interesting well I, yeah i guess whatever works for him you know it's just, yeah they got to keep yeah. those things you know flowing in that direction uh, but right exactly <laughs> but but you actually got the but you did get the pet and hug lassie i mean you know come on <laughs> i did i did i i did not to in the scene so i was happy <laughs> i mean that's that's all you can ask i mean well I'm a dog lover, so I mean, you know, there's 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 Lassie, there's Rin Tin Tin, there's Benji, you know, there's those are the ones I can pick right off the top of my head. That oh, I did ask uh, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, and he had a he had a husky. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> Excuse that's me, right. I remember that. Yeah, he had a husky. <laughs> I remember. I got to hug that one. You, what, was it, what was it like with Sergeant Preston in the Yukon? Do you do you have any other memories? Because you're in the episode uh, Hidden Gold. Hidden gold, and I remember, I remember there was a plane ride involved in that. It wasn't a seaplane; it was a small plane, though. I think they must have taken us to a location or something. And uh, I kind of vaguely remember talking to him, and we were up in the mountain. My father was in a cabin. Boy, that's all I can remember. I always remember the dog, of course. Yeah, the dog was King right. Yukon King, or King. that was it, King. Yes. King, yeah. and, did, and did you get to did you get to meet Rex the horse? Yes, I believe so because the horse was there. It must have been. I don't remember. It was Rex. Well, I don't remember that. Wow. wow. Yeah, I did. 
and I did that when I did the last command. I loved all the horses and that white horse that Santa Ana rode uh, <laughs> was was a little touchy. And uh, J. Carroll Nash just hated that horse because it would always rear up suddenly when he was giving one of his lines or something like that. And I would go around him and I would pet it and love it and squeeze it. And the horse trainer came and saw me one day and almost had a heart attack because he was afraid the horse would kick me or something. But these horses, I think horses know, you know, when it's a kid. I think I was just loving it. <laughs> I, th- I think horses, dogs, and all that, and a lot of animals know when you're like, oh, the- <clears throat> You're the nice one. You let you come up, and then they also know when people are scared of them or, or don't like them. And I, I guess that's what happened to um, poor Mister Nash. <laughs> yes, <laughs> poor guy. I'm going to get this guy. Watch <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, watch this. You should be getting this shot. I don't think so. <laughs> now there was two hundred movies I wanted to bring up with you. One of them was a TV movie, The Alphabet Conspiracy. Yes, I, it was a Bell Telephone science series, and they used to have, they were specials, and they would show them on TV, and they also show them in classrooms, or they did, I don't think they do anymore, but uh, they, and they were each about a different subject, and uh, the Alphabet Conspiracy, of course, was about language and linguistics, and uh, I fall asleep studying my English uh, lesson, and I dream that I'm Alice in Wonderland, and I go to uh, there's the Mad Hatter and Buster Keaton was in it and uh, Hans Conrad and uh, and Frank Baxter who was in all, all of them he was kind of like the narrator yeah in, in your case he played Dr. Linguistic so he was right. going through but, <laughs> but, but Hans Conrad I mean he played the Mad Hatter and you could just tell he was loving the role you know, cause, oh yeah cause the he was a ham yeah <laughs> And the, there was the, what was the one? It was a lady. It was, she was the. The Jabberwock. Um, Dolores. Jabberwock, yeah. Dolores Star. Dolores, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, it was, what was it like? Because I know the one scene when you're talking about where you're at the desk and you fall asleep and then you wake up and now every, the, everything is huge for a little, for, the, for like at least a brief part. You're, you're so small. It's because you're, you're on now yeah. on the desk. Did they actually like that, like just just um film you in like a like a green screen type thing and then put you in, or did you actually have like a prop huge book that you were with? Sadly, these were the days before lots of green screen and stuff, so everything was huge and it was fabulous. I loved the set; <laughs> it was just an amazing set. They built everything was just enormous. And uh, I remember my favorite was this long pencil because the eraser was even soft, like an eraser is. I was thinking they, really <laughs> they pay attention to detail. Really, the I, I never would have thought they would have made the eraser small, small, soft. I would have thought they would have just, you know, fit the color yeah. thing. But wow, <laughs> that's what I thought too. But I was, like, but I was wrong. I was, I remember it was fascinating. I thought, wow, attention to detail. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting. It was interesting to. I remember we were standing and we would look at a screen and he would show. Uh, they would tell stories about, you know, where uh, language originated or something like that. We'd look at that and pretend like we were actually looking at something. <laughs> they did put that in later. But, uh, but it was fun just to stand on all the, with everything, all the large books. A lot of the, that was just painted on scenery and stuff, the books. But some of the stuff that was stacked or like the pencil and the pad and the books and everything were all real. 
were not real, but they were props. They were built onto it and not just painted on a wall like a lot of the library books were in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know um, the Jabberwock and um, Mad Hatter, they um, rolled the reel for the film. So you see these huge reels that they're, uh-huh. you know, and I was just like, wow, that's, they're really going into with the uh, the props. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing set. I just loved it, and uh, it was it was fun to do, and I really enjoyed it. And it was funny also because I, years later, I was a teacher for a little while, and uh, <laughs> I showed it to my students, and one of them informed me that that little girl looked a lot like me, and I said, "You think so?" <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> now, did you tell your students you were in it, or you just leave it like you leave it at that? <laughs> I just left it at that. I figured, no, 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 I want to introduce that into this whole. <laughs> Sometimes it's better just to let, let them be, the teacher be a little mysterious. <laughs> uh, which goes back to your love of mystery books. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, if they research it, they'll figure it out. But what I thought was <laughs> wild, for a 1959 TV movie, I was not expecting this when I was watching it, but it's in color. Yeah. Which, well, you know, it's funny because in the when you look, even when you look at movies uh, on TV, the in the, the late fifties, early sixties, it was expensive to do color, so they had to make a decision when they shot the movie whether they wanted to do color or black and white. And a lot of people opted for the black and white just because it was cheaper, and it also gave it a, a different feel too, just depending on what you were trying to convey. But uh, but color was, you know, if if you had the money and the and the budget, you, you'd take the color. Well, I think color definitely works for this premise where you're you're playing like an Alice in the Wonderland, <coughs> excuse me, type character. So you need the color, and I think that actually helped it for years later to be still shown in classrooms because if it was black and white, it wouldn't have lasted yeah. as long. That's true. That's true. That's another movie you were in, the lineup. Oh, it was in San Francisco. That was a fun movie because we were in San Francisco for about two months. And uh, I enjoyed that. Eli Wallach, he played the bad guy in it. Mm-hmm. He's one of the kindest, nicest people you could ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> of course, which I find rather amusing. Uh, but he was just, uh, he is very nervous about the part, I think, because he'd done a lot of stage, but not too much film at that point. And uh, so he, but he was, he was good. He was good to work with, and he talked to you, and he wanted to be sure that I understood that he was only being mean because it was his part and that we were friends, you know, he was, it was very important to him that we had that clear. And, uh, I kind of thought that was nice. you know. Well, that is good because, you know, you, but it also goes back to some actors don't take the time to do that. And some do, but then again, some of them, the director tells them not to interact too much, but in your particular case, the, t- your two characters end up in a car together and in the hotel room together. So you act in, in the, the aquarium and they so they have to actually, and there are parts where they're being nice to you guys as a setup. So it's kind of an interesting thing because they're nice. And then there's the, the turn. Yes. <laughs> All of a sudden you're like, Ooh, hey, you're not nice. And it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Because we, with the, with the doll ripping up the doll and then the, then the car when you would get, snarly with us and everything and then of course he was very nervous about his end scene where he had to jump out of the car and use me as a shield and then all he had to do was look down and jump over and there was a mattress and then they would have a dummy that fell 
and everything like that. But he was a little nervous. About it. I think it was his first stunt, <laughs> you know, semi-stunt for as an actor and everything. So he gave me a nice toss when he jumped over. So it, that was very real too, because <laughs> he was just nervous. <laughs> Like I don't want anything to happen to her. I'm going to toss her away. Now I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. Now I have to jump. Okay. <laughs> now I can focus on that and 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 do the and do and do the leap of faith, so to speak. Which exactly. It doesn't work well for him in the end. For for people who haven't seen the movie, and it's out there. It's it's pretty easy to find. <laughs> it is actually they had it on Turner Classic Movies not too long ago. And, and you got to work with another character actor, Richard Jackal. Oh yes, he was uh, he was nice, uh, and he was friendly, and he was kind of an up and comer and everything. Mm-hmm. And they they dyed his hair like really blonde to do it. It was I'm not sure why, but they did. And he got he kept chewing gum, and he, there wasn't a big gum chewer in real life. And I remember that. But he didn't. We didn't interact too much, other than he did talk and things. We t- especially when we did a lot of the scenes in the car, because a lot of the scenes in the car were filmed in the car, but they were also filmed in the studio with people shaking the car <laughs> when we would talk and things. So, uh, you know, when we would all kind of hang while they were setting things up, everybody talked, so it was nice. You had to do something, you know. It's like, well, these there's only four of you in the car, so something's got to give. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, you might as well talk because you're going to wait in a while while they set up the lights and everything. <laughs> And, and and Mary LaRoche, or La, is LaRoche or LaRoche, played your mom? I think it's LaRoche, Mary LaRoche, yeah. She was also uh, a lot like Virginia Gray, just uh, very kind, very nice, and we'd discuss things together sometimes. You know, what do you think about this, or what do you think about that? And it was just nice. I think she wanted to do that so I'd feel comfortable since she was supposed to be my mom and everything. Oh, it makes sense, and and this, and of course, I find that ironic because this film is in black and white, but it fits the um, that that vibe they're going for, which is more of a you know the the, the old cop robbers type yeah. Yeah. thing. And then you got the alphabet conspiracy, which it's, it's in its luscious color. You know, it's just it's I know <laughs> very different feel. <laughs> but there's what there is one other TV show. And probably the one everybody's everybody knows because it's still go, it's still being churned out as movies with Tom Cruise. But you were in huh. the first season of Mission Impossible, and when I watched this episode, it blew my mind because I always thought Peter Graves and Mission Impossible were synonymous, and he's not in that episode. He's not even, he's not even listed. He's, he's he's there is no Peter Graves. It was, it blew my mind. <laughs> Well, he was the original star uh, it, uh, who played Mr. Briggs. It was, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Stephen Hill? Stephen Hill. And Stephen Hill was uh, uh, was an Orthodox uh, Jew. And so he would have to leave Friday at sundown, uh, before sundown, like at 4 o'clock. Well, anybody who's done a TV show can tell you that it's long days. And so at first they thought they could accommodate, but then I guess it became too much of a hassle and he ended up, and it was funny because I don't think they ever explained the change. It just suddenly went from Mr. Briggs to Mr. Phelps, you know, (laughs) so it was kind of interesting, but uh, yeah, it's funny. So I was in the only episode, at least the ones I had a lot of lines in and I got the part uh, courtesy uh, of the casting director who 
uh, had cast me as a child and remembered I was an excellent crier, and that's how I got the part. <laughs> 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 Very funny. <laughs> and uh, he continued to give me like even non-speaking parts and small parts and things that he had all through college. I was in college at that point and uh, paid for my books and my gas money and tuition and things like that. It was just, uh, it was very kind. So <laughs> It's hard to find people that can cry on cue. I, 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 the one person I could think of that does it, that, that always was known to be able to do an excellent job was Beverly Washburn, who could always. Oh, she was amazing actress. She was, one, she was wonderful. Oh, she is. And, and you know, and here they, they find another one. It's like, oh, she can cry. <laughs> We need her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was good at it. I used to cry. I cried in almost everything I did. I think all, all three Loretta Youngs, I think. My, no, I only cried in two. <laughs> I, didn't cry. I didn't cry in the one about the family vacation. Uh, but what, what was it like working with Loretta Young since you brought her? Ooh, she was scary. <laughs> she liked me because I paid attention and I could cry on two. And, uh, she was a big taskmaster. She was not uh, not to be messed with. She was an interesting lady. But she liked me, and I, I was happy that she liked me. <laughs> Very happy. Imagine what she would have treated you like if she didn't like you. But <laughs> Oh, I think about that, yeah, all the time. Because I, I, I heard stories. I didn't personally see them, so I don't want to repeat them. But, oof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I could just, you know, at least you're on the good side. I guess that's why you were in multiple episodes. <laughs> oh, actually, it was, yeah. I mean, she. the one thing about her was she liked me because I you know, I paid attention. I did what she asked, and I cried on cue. And uh, so she rewarded me by casting me again when she would have a part she thought it was suitable for me. So I, I appreciated that. And one other thing with Mission Impossible, um, one of your kidnappers, is a character actor that I've loved in many different things, and that's Vic Tabak. Oh, yes. <laughs> he was a nice guy. <laughs> just really funny. Just like, what? He was like, he had a joke all the time. He always had something funny to tell you. He had to have a joke every day. He was just funny, totally different than most of the characters he played, of course, as always the character actors are. <laughs> Well, it's like Eli Wallach is known for a lot of times playing the bad guy. And so is Vic Taylor. Uh-huh. He's used to playing the gangster, the heavy, and that uh-huh. kind of stuff. But he yeah. also had such great comedy timing because he was in Alice, um, and, and No Deposit, No Return. You know, those kind of things yeah. were comedies where he had excellent timing. And, of course, that Star Trek episode where he played a gangster, which a lot of people probably remember him from either Alice or Star Trek. I know. I love that episode, Star Trek. <laughs> That was funny. Yeah, but he was like, that was kind of who he was. The timing, the comedy timing was more him than the, the gangster, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess it's, it's one of those things you get typecast by a certain look and that's what people put you in. And then, um, yeah, yeah. But it's work and that's, that's the key thing. <laughs> oh, you bet. <laughs> and, and speaking of work, what did you do after your, your actors, your acting career? Well, I kicked around for a while, and I, I got married, and we were in Florida for a while, and uh, then came back, and uh, you know, did did a few things, and then I uh, worked for a place called Group W, which was at Universal, and I was in uh, personnel there, and then I got hired by Disney, and uh, Disney hired me to take care of their TV shows and their 
movies that were on the lot to set them up in office space and hire their staff and things like that. And uh, it was something I was good at because I was used to working with all those people. And it was one of the reasons they, that I got the job over some of the other applicants, I think, because I had the background. And I was there for almost uh, about 27, 28 years. And uh, I loved my job. And I got to meet lots and lots of interesting actors on the other end. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, some I liked, some I didn't. But it's very funny now when I watch TV sometimes, a lot of those people are still working. And so the cast will run by and I go, oh, loved him. Oh, gosh, hated her. Wow, is he still working? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting con in. (laughs) It's horrible. But uh, I enjoyed my job. It was different every day. And I got to meet a lot of interesting people. I'm not going to ask, and, you, about, uh, I'm not gonna ask yeah. you about somebody you did not like, but what, what were like one or two that people would know that you that you liked, that you helped out at Disney? I loved Tom Selleck. He was lovely. Um, he was, uh, <laughs> he was, his child had just been born, and I, if I ever made the mistake of asking him about baby pictures, uh, I'd have to go up and down the elevator three times to see all the ones he had on his phone. <laughs> like, and then there she is having breakfast. And I'm thinking to myself, I had to ask. You know, like, wow. And uh, Henry Winkler, who was a doll. Um, <laughs> Sean Connery was interesting. Um, he liked me a lot. Uh, he, everybody else found him a little intimidating. And uh, let's see who else. Michelle Pfeiffer is a gracious, beautiful lady, as is Goldie Hawn. And uh, Bette Midler, who uh, was the first big star I met when I uh, got hired there. And she was just exactly like she seemed. <laughs> she was just a hoot. And if you ran into her in the bathroom, you had to talk girl talk for a while. It was great. She was just, I just loved her. I guess what helped you with Sean Carnery is it's working with Robert Mitchum and people like in, in William Holder. You, you're like, oh, yeah, I've worked with people like you. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah. My, my cheapest thrill was uh, Paul Newman uh, because uh, he was lovely and uh, I'd always had a crush on him in movies and everything like that. So I, I, my funny story is I, I said he did a movie called The Color of Money for mm-hmm. Disney. I set him up in offices and um, – he was like, he was like, well, thank you so much and everything. And so I was thinking, oh, wow, I got to meet Paul Newman. Okay, I think I'm good here. And everything. And then he forgot to ask me something. So he calls me on the phone. And he's like, hey, Cheryl, it's Paul. And I'm thinking, Paul, Paul in makeup, Paul in wardrobe, Paul. Oh, hi. <laughs> it was Paul Newman. <laughs> it was so out of, out of context. It's like, hi, it's Paul. I'm thinking, really? <laughs> It's not something you expect every day to get a call from Paul Newman, you know, like, oh, yeah. And he just goes, oh, it's Paul. You're like. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking, Paul, Paul. God, I was so glad. I mean, suddenly dawned on me. I had just seen him the day before. I was like, oh, okay. That would, that would have been interesting if you would have said, Paul who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been really bad. <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't go there. <laughs> That would, that, would, that would have been. It could. It could either gone really funny or really bad. It could have gone either way. But you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, some people have a sense of humor, and some people don't. So you have to be careful of this. <laughs> he was a very nice person. He actually was the old style actor. You know, the gentleman. He was. Uh, that's the way he came across to me. Anyway, he was very nice. He was very gracious about the offices. He didn't act like he expected it. You know, type of thing. 
you know, I talked to somebody that I interviewed somebody, Dave Hansen, who worked with him on Slapshot, and um, mm-hmm. and he was just saying again how he was just like, oh, he's just like the rest of us, you know, and he just came in. Mm-hmm. And they all had fun, so I, I think he would, I think he would have probably found it funny. I don't think it would have been an issue with him. Yeah, but but there's other people, uh, as you well know, it, it can be a totally different story. <laughs> oh yeah. And, oh, and I loved Robin Williams. I got to meet Robin Williams. That was a nice, uh, nice thing for me too. You got to meet Robin he was, Williams. He was two people. He was the person I met and showed his offices. He did Good Morning Vietnam for us, and um, I set him up in the offices. And he was very quiet, very nice. Thank you so much. Well, what is this? What is that? And I said, well, do, are you going to have an assistant or something? He says, well, no. He says, my wife kind of helps me out. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let me know if you need somebody. I can provide it. We're talking. And the movers come in. There were like three of them because I he wanted his couch changed out or something. And I said, I, so I called them. And they, they bring the couch in. And the minute he had an audience, he started. He started telling jokes. So I walk into this bar. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> it was like it was very interesting you know and i just thought okay so when there's one person we're one-on-one but we have more we have an audience so it was very interesting you had a private show with robin williams in a sense i mean that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of that way <laughs> he told me the funniest story he's like don't ever ever this was actually when we were alone he was like don't ever say things if you ever have a job do you have children i said no i don't i'm sorry but i don't and he said well don't ever say ugly words in front of them. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, so he's driving his kids. <laughs> he lived up north. He's driving his kids to, uh, to a store to pick up something because his wife is busy. So he, and this person cuts him off and he says, the F word, F you. It's like everything. And they're hoping the kid will say a few words like mom or dad. And they're having a contest, which he says first, mom or dad. And so he gets into the store and he's pushing her around and, this lady comes up and she goes, oh, Mr. Williams, what a cute little baby. And the kid looks at him and she goes, he goes this kid says, plain to say, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she just heard his dad say it. And he was like mortified. <laughs> oh, God. Now they think I'm a terrible <laughs> parent. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, no. She kind of looked at him and she said, well, I never. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, I'm glad I'm glad I asked you about Robin Williams, Danny, and you, and you remembered him because that is funny. <laughs> but I want to thank you for taking time to let us, you know, let us reminisce about your the movies and TV shows and stuff that you've done in the past. Oh, well, sure, it was fun. I enjoyed talking about it. I don't get to talk about it much anymore, so it was a lot of fun. And, and that's the thing is, is people should. See, I don't know why people don't seek you out, you know, and, and and get a chance to interview you because you like you said already, you're in movie. Like I said, you're in a lot of these classic movies, and you have memories of them. Um, it's 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 piece of history, and if if you don't talk to people and get it down, then it it could, it'll disappear. Yeah, I know that's the sad part. Is I think about some of the older actors, you know, that I. I admire that we're before my time and everything, and it would be lovely to be able to hear from them. Sometimes you'll see an old interview or something, and it's really interesting to hear things. So thank you, and thank you for talking to me. Well, thank you. And again, like I said, we finished the main part of the interview, but now let's go into the bonus part of the interview, stuff that we recorded after the main interview. I hope you all enjoy it. 
Talk to you soon. Hello, everybody. Just when you thought the interview was over, there's more. It's almost like an infomercial. You know, we keep throwing you extra little bits. I'm back with Miss Calloway, and she started telling me these other stories. You heard the one already about, or you're going to hear the one in a little bit about Vincent Price. But before we get to the Vincent Price story, um, we're going to talk about Buster Keaton. You got to meet Buster Keaton. I did. It was one of the big thrills of my life uh, to meet Buster Keaton. And he played a, a part. He did a little, uh, maybe like five minute bit in uh, a TV show I worked in, which was a special. Uh, they used to do the Bell Telephone Science Series. And um, it was called Alphabet Conspiracy. And I think we talked about it. And uh, anyway, he did a part in that. And I uh, asked if I could have a picture. And he not only let me take a picture, he held my hand. And I was it was a cheap thrill, and I loved it. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it was just there. He was so very gracious, and I don't know, just everything I wanted him to be. He was very kind and everything. And, uh, just one of my heroes. I just love all of his silent films. I used to watch them, so it was really nice to, to meet him. What, what was one of the silent films that you that you liked, liked the Buster Keaton? You know, I love the one. There's one on a train. I can't remember the name of is them now. The, wow. Is that The General? Yeah, I think it is a gem. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's one of his famous ones, but it's it's really it's just a, a laugh a minute. I just love it. Oh, I, I have Buster Keaton films here, and I think for listeners that don't, you should seek out and watch Buster Keaton. It's 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 amazing the the talent yeah. that he had. He, he really was. He was wonderful and did a lot of all his own stunts. So. <laughs> He was the Tom Cruise before Tom Cruise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they were, and they weren't worried about safety as much back then. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> now, in between the time we recorded the main interview and this other one, your husband reminded you about a, a, um, a story about Sean Connor. We shared part of a story. But if you could talk about the Sean Connery story, that, then this is this is amazing. This is back when your Disney Studio days. Yes, this was back when I was an adult and I was working, uh, taking care of the shows and things at, at Disney Studios. And I took care of the overall deals. And Sean Connery had an overall deal with us. And uh, as part of that, I would set up office space and things for them. And uh, he came in at the beginning of his deal and didn't have a secretary. So he just came in himself. And we looked at the office space and then went down and, sat down at my desk and I sat at my desk and he sat across from me and we talked for a few minutes about what he wanted and everything. But he kept looking behind me and I couldn't figure out what he was looking at. He would look over my head and I thought, why is he looking at? So finally I couldn't stand it anymore. And I turned around and I realized that I had a picture of Pierce Brosnan on my bulletin board behind me. And at that moment in time, Pierce Brosnan was James Bond. He was uh, the current James Bond. And uh, so I kind of realized that's probably what he was looking at. And I said, you know, um, Mr. Brosnan came in here and he did uh, something for us. And I love Remington Steel. And I told him that and asked him for a picture. He kindly signed it and I put it on my bulletin board. And he said, oh, I see. And uh, we went on and finished talking and everything and he left and I was sitting at my desk and about an hour later a runner comes in and he hands me an envelope I opened up the envelope and it was a picture of Sean Connery and it said to Cheryl from the real James Bond so I of course dutifully put that up and it stayed up for the whole four years he had contract with us <laughs> so that when he came in he would see himself there as the real James Bond 
and I remember you telling me he came in just a few days later on for the, the premise of something else, but I think it was probably just to see yes. if the picture was there. I, I agree. I think so too. I think he wanted to be sure that I put him up. So I did. I, I displayed him a little higher just so he'd know. So in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Because he was the real James Bond. He was my fave. It's like, you're my favorite James Bond. He was my favorite <laughs> Remington Steele. Please. <laughs> Please, I swear. <laughs> my husband loves that story, and I forgot to tell you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I mean, we're getting it now, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to one day we'll both be able to meet each other sometime sometime soon. Hopefully, you'll be able to go to a, conven- to a convention because you've never done one before, so hopefully one day you'll oh, be out be there. Fun. Yeah, I would love that. I'd like to meet people. And um, for and I want to thank you again for um, adding these extra little things on with me because listeners don't know, we did the main interview and we were talking. This is like weeks later. We were we were talking on the phone and she was sharing these stories. So if we ended up repeating the Buster Keating thing, I apologize. I didn't get a chance to re-listen to the audio, but I just wanted to make sure we have it recorded. So if we doubled up there, um, I, I apologize, but I know we did not do the Sean Connery. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> And um, you're going to be now listening, listeners, to the Vincent Price thing, which we did the same day the interview was after we were talking like this again, and we did that, and it, it, the Vincent Price thing goes on for several minutes. I hope you enjoy it. And again, Miss Calway, I enjoyed having you on this show. Thanks again so much. No, thank you. I enjoyed it, too. Miss Calloway, another movie that you, or not, not movie, but TV show you were on was The Best of the Post, and you were on Off the Set, uh, where you worked with Vincent Price. Price, do you have any memories of working with Mr. Price? I do, and they were all fun and memorable. He's uh, very much the gentleman, and he uh, is a huge, huge art fan, or was a huge art fan and collector. In fact, he owned so many pictures, this is really true, that he had run out of wall space, and his life had kind of forbidden him from buying anything else, but he bought a couple more anyway, so he would just put it on the ceiling, so if he stopped by his house, he would go, this is the latest, and he'd point up, and we'd all, we'd all dutifully look up, and uh, the picture was <laughs> and uh, he was just uh, really an art aficionado, and he was just very kind, and also another very giving actor who cared about how you felt about the scene and would talk about it a little bit because he, the story is about uh, a man uh, who's a child. He starts off as a, uh, like a bit show guy, like on the uh, circus circuit or something like that. And he, if people don't put enough money in the hat, then he has trained me to cry and then people feel sorry. So they give him more money. So then I become a Shirley Temple type star and he's my, you know, stage father and type of thing. And, um, and it, the story is, goes on to where a couple people are concerned because they feel like I don't have a real life. and I don't know the difference between, you know, uh, happy and sad and things like that. And he says, well, I can control her. Like she can do anything I want. And I don't know. Do you want me to tell the end of this? Cause I don't believe this is probably available on film anymore. Oh yeah. I think, okay. Spoiler alert. You've been warned. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, go for okay. the ending. <laughs> okay, so the ending is uh, where he's driving his fancy little sports car that he's gotten thanks to my money and everything like that. He crashes it and he's laying in the street dying. And I walk over and I look down at him and I burst into laughter. And he says, oh, no, cry, Trudy. My name is Trudy in the movie. Don't laugh. Anyway, it was 
creepy little story, and it was uh, involved. Uh, I was in a lot of scenes with him and everything, and it was uh, he was just wonderful, very kind, very supportive person. And and that's one thing that's been a common theme with people I've talked to that have worked with Vincent Price, and I've I've interviewed his daughter Victoria Price. Yeah, everybody just loved. Vincent Price. I mean, the work with yeah. him and, and stuff like that. He was the, the consummate gentleman, nice. Uh, yes. Loved his art, loved to cook. He was just an amazing uh-huh. man. <laughs> yeah, he really was. He's like a renaissance man. He really was. And and for listeners, if you watch The Whales of August, which has Lillian Gish, it has Betty Davis, it also has Vincent Price. Yay. <laughs> so, highly recommend that movie. As always, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And if you have any feedback, please email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us feedback on our Facebook page. Uh, to take us out of this episode, we're going to play a little clip from Night of the Hunter where Robert Mitchum's character is singing and Lillian Gish's character joins in. Uh, what you don't see is that she's holding a shotgun in her house while he's outside being predatory which we mentioned earlier in the interview. Hope you enjoy. And um, next episode will be about the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention that's coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. It'll be coming out in a couple of days. Bye. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all What a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms What a blessedness What a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms Leaning on Jesus Leaning on Jesus children out of bed and bring them down here. Women are such journal fools. It's a hard world for a little thing.